Vigorous Steve here. Let's talk about steroidogenesis inhibitors, or better yet, the real reason why your hormone balance is all out of whack. A lot of you guys don't think about drug interactions, so I'm going to make a couple of videos over the next couple of months to teach you about potential drug interactions, because one drug might inhibit the metabolism of another drug or the complete breakdown and detoxification of several different drugs. This is something you have to realize before you start dabbling with particular PEDs or ancillaries. In this video, we're mostly going to talk about the ancillaries, which can inhibit the breakdown or several steps of the sex hormone in the neurosteroid cascades. So this video is all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute just to sit right here to tell you all about how I became the prince of drug metabolism. Before we get into it, please like the video, leave a comment for the algorithm and consider subscribing if you haven't already. And if you would like to support the channel, you can do so by joining either the YouTube or Patreon memberships, where you can vote for upcoming deep dives or join the weekly vigorous Q&A, which is always on Saturday, right? It's private for about an hour, maybe a little bit longer. Get all your questions in so you don't have to join the herds of Super Chat Superfloods. So let's get started with the earliest steps in the sex hormone cascade with 3-hydroxy-3-methylglutarylcoenzyme-A reductase, abbreviated to HMG-COA reductase. This is the rate-controlling enzyme of the metabolic pathway that produces cholesterol and other isoprenoids. Keep in mind that statins, including monocolon K, which is the um, lovastatin equivalent found in red yeast rice, a natural uh, supplement you can buy over the counter, statins and red yeast rice inhibit cholesterol synthesis as well as the normal functioning of the cell membranes and cell signaling. So you don't want to overdo the statins because otherwise you miss out on all of the benefits that cholesterol has, including the synthesis into sex hormones and neurosteroids. So keep in mind, use these statins or red yeast rice respectively, because otherwise you're going to have a ton of issues downstream because this is the earliest steps that you have to pay attention to. Now, I'm not against statins. I'm not against atorvastatin or patavastatin or rosuvastatin or so the other statins that we can choose from, but you have to respect them because if you overdo it, again, you might get all of the side effects that are associated with statins, including some of the side effects that are coming from the red yeast rice, muscle pain or muscle damage, increased risk of diabetes, increased liver enzymes in the blood due to liver damage. Statins can also inhibit coenzyme Q10 uh, production. So even if you're supplementing with ubiquinol or coenzyme Q10, you still might miss out on some of the benefits while you're using statins. And of course, you know, some of these things are important for cardiac function, muscle contractions, antioxidant status, and overall glucose regulation. And if you're currently experiencing any of the side effects which are generally associated with statin use, Keep in mind that there's always alternatives like azetamide, for example, or fish oil with every meal, or citric bergamot, or daily fasted cardio, or improving your diet substantially. There's so many ways you can mitigate high cholesterol levels. You'd need a certain amount of cholesterol for your body to function correctly, right? And if you're on a boatload of steroids, you don't really have to worry about the sex hormones and neural steroid cascade, because of course, you can always supplement with those to superphysiological levels if you do so desire, but you're still missing out on the cell membrane function and cell membrane signaling. So keep that in mind. Look for alternatives if you're having issues with the statins that you're currently using. Next one I want to discuss is 24-dehydroxycholesterol reductase, predominantly clomiphene, clomiphene citrate, also known as clomid. This inhibits some of the steps of converting desmosterol into cholesterol. So this is one of the reasons why clomid can actually reduce your cholesterol levels besides pushing some of the cholesterol into the testes or the ovaries while you're using it while uh, luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormones 
are super physiological, right? During pulse cycle therapy, congenital hereditary gene mutations revolving around the 24-dehydroxy cholesterol reductase enzymes can actually lead into desmosterolosis, which is a lethal condition caused by multiple organ malformations. It is only observed in infants. Still, it is of note that clomid, clomiphene can increase desmosterol levels by approximately 10%. Now, this is the clinical dose of clomid, which is prescribed in cases of breast cancer. Still, it is of note that higher doses of clomid for longer periods of time can actually increase your desmosterol levels and reduce your cholesterol levels, which you would think is a good idea, but still with long-term exposure might lead to all kinds of issues revolving around healthy cholesterol levels and cholesterol synthesis. And that's beside the fact all of the known issues associated with clomid, particularly the zuclomiphene, right? Enclomiphene has now been extensively studied individually, but some of the long-term evidence isn't really there. So let's just focus on clomid and not enclomiphene. That remains to be determined in a couple of years. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, you know, the ocular changes by blocking the estrogen receptors in the eyes, the reduction of serum IGF-1 levels, and the increase in liver enzymes um, blocking the estrogen receptors in peripheral tissue, which would otherwise have the beneficial effects of estradiol, and of course, the clotting risk. So besides the inhibition of desmosterol converting into cholesterol, increasing desmosterol levels by approximately 10%, um, all of the other issues associated with clomiphene is one of the reasons why I don't like clomiphene monotherapy, right? Maybe look into N-clomiphene monotherapy if you want to increase your LH, FSH, and testosterone levels downstream. Um, but clomids, all the more reasons not to take it. Moving over to sterol-27-hydroxylase, which is predominantly converting cholesterol into 27-hydroxycholesterol and thus is regulating the synthesis of bile acids, particularly anastrozole, arimidex. One of the reasons why you see that cholesterol levels go up with using anastrozole arimidex to inhibit the aromatized enzymes. A side effect of that is that your cholesterol levels go up disproportionately to the use of aromacin exameste. And inhibiting this with arimidex will downstream reduce the production of bile acids. Now, you need bile acids for um, detoxification, right? Also including bilirubin. So if your bilirubin starts to increase, this can lead to jaundice. And you also need these bile acids to help in the breakdown of food and increase nutrient absorption besides the excretion of metabolic waste products. It might even result in constipation if you overdo it. So a severe reduction in bile acids will not lubricate the stool. And now you're mad constipated. Um, I don't think that's a common side effect of anastrozole, but it's something you have to keep in mind. If you go with arimidex over aromacin, which is the one I prefer to keep serum estradiol levels in range, then if you go with arimidex, Cholesterol levels will go up in the excretion of metabolic waste products, bilirubin, and perhaps the absorption of fat-soluble and water-soluble vitamins will go down. Keep this in mind. Next one, the cholesterol 7-alpha-hydroxylase enzymes, which also help in the synthesis of bile acids. These are inhibited by catechonazole, nizerol shampoo, which is an anti-androgen, antifungal, and anti-glucocorticoid medication used in the treatment of a number of fungal infections. But the topical shampoo formulations are used off-label to prevent hair loss caused by androgenetic alopecia. So whether you're using testosterone, dihydrotestosterone derivatives, or currently drug-free, ketoconazole is usually used to improve hair growth and prevent um, hair loss uh, when DHT levels are somewhat elevated, right? Um, of course, you can lose, look into finasteride and dutasteride that come with a laundry list of side effects. And don't worry 
We'll discuss them a little bit later on. Inhibiting bile acid synthesis with catechonazole, if that's a 2% or 5% shampoo formulation that you're using once per day or twice per day, eventually the catechonazole can go systemic and thus the reduction of bile acids might take place, resulting in all kinds of issues with the excretion of metabolic waste products, like I mentioned earlier. Right? Keep that in mind if you're using ketoconazole, and don't worry, ketoconazole will come back a couple more times. So don't worry, at the end of this video, I'll include a list of all of the compounds which can inhibit multiple steps, multiple enzymes in the sex hormone and neurosteroid cascades. Stay tuned to the end so you have an overview of these compounds and all of the deleterious effects that they might potentiate with chronic and overuse, overexposure. Um, moving over to cholesterol sidechain cleaving enzyme, also known as P450. SCC or CYP11A1, right? This is a mitochondrial enzyme that catalyzes the conversion of cholesterol into pregnenolone. This is the first reaction that is needed for normal steroidogenesis. So besides inhibiting cholesterol and all of the issues that come along with that with the previous compounds which we discussed, this is the first enzyme that actually helps with the neurosteroid and sex hormone cascades. And the highest level of the cholesterol sidechain cleavage enzyme system is found in the adrenal cortex and the corpus luteum, and it's also highly expressed in the ovaries and the testes. Keep in mind that the synthesis of pregnenolone from cholesterol happens in several different steps. They're on the screen with um, impronounceable names. The inhibitors are aminoglutathiamide, also known as cytodrine, which is commonly used by bodybuilders back in the day as an uh, aromatized inhibitor. Nowadays, it's not really used, but I would still like to mention it here. The kenrenone, which is a spirolactone aldactone metabolite, also a potent inhibitor of the cholesterol sidechain cleavage enzymes. Ketoconazole, again, right? keep it in mind, make a mental note. And of course, spironolactone is also a potent inhibitor. So these, if you're using them, keep in mind that you're now inhibiting the synthesis of alone coming from cholesterol. So ketoconazole is already mentioned twice. And again, it will come back a couple more times in this video, and if you start inhibiting the synthesis of pregnenolone from cholesterol, you're already um, causing issues with the full sex hormone and neural steroid cascade. And if you're on performance-enhancing drugs, you use anabolic androgenic steroids, cookie-cutter HRT with testosterone, pregnenolone, and DHEA. This is not really an issue, but still, if you're currently drug-free and you're ke taking ketoconazole, you're inhibiting now multiple steps. Right? And of course, you're not going to use cytodrine if you're drug-free as an aromatized inhibitor, because there's much better alternatives, and I believe that cytodrine isn't even available. So keep in mind that if you're using aldactone as an anti-androgen acne medication, which is generally recommended and prescribed for women suffering from a hormonal acne, they run aldactone for months in duration, and thus perinanolone levels, DHA levels, DHA sulfate also, testosterone, estrogen, that might all come down. So one of its effects is by reducing sex hormone production and a neurosteroid production, thus uh, improving acne, and that's besides the blockade of the androgen receptor and now testosterone and dihydrotestosterone, which women also produce, albeit in trace amounts compared to men, um, blocking the androgen receptor further um, improves hormonal acne. But you might not feel so good when all of your sex hormones are, you know, getting into that subclinical level. So keep that in mind for, for all the females out there, there are much better methods out there to control your acne. I have several different videos on this YouTube channel. You don't need to inhibit the sex hormone cascades. Don't worry, spironolactone, aldactone will make a comeback later on. Moving over to the three beta hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase enzymes, 
which catalyzes the biosynthesis of sex hormones predominantly in the adrenal glands, but they're also present in other steroid producing tissues, including the ovaries, the testes, and even the placenta. In humans, there are two, two variants of the three beta hydroxysteroid dehydrogenase enzymes. It's the one and two variants. This enzyme is responsible for a couple different steps in the sex hormone cascade, including pregnenolone into progesterone, DHEA into androstenedione, 5-alpha androstenediol into testosterone, and androstenediol into androstenedione. So when you start inhibiting these enzymes, masculinity levels 50%, right? You go from the alpha or sigma down to the beta levels or the gamma levels, or well, actually gamma levels are quite okay if you're talking about masculinity. I mean, I think the Hulk is pretty damn masculine, albeit slightly enraged 24-7. Okay, the inhibitors of this enzyme are ciproterone acetate, also known as Androcur, which is a medication also prescribed for hormonal acne. Genistein, which is a naturally occurring isoflavin, um, actually described as an angiogenesis inhibitor and a phytoestrogen, and is found in several different naturally occurring um, food sources, including tofu, flavor beans, soybeans, and even coffee, albeit that I couldn't really find any evidence that coffee can inhibit some of these enzymes and thus re reduce the conversion of pregnenolone into progesterone or DHEA into androstenedione or um, androstenediol into testosterone, right? So again, some of the evidence is there that coffee contains genistein, but there's no evidence that coffee can actually reduce testosterone levels. Next one is gestrinone, which is the foundation of tetrahydrogestrinone, also known as THG or the clear, which was used to beat the drug test back in the day. Of course, this is a progestin-based anabolic steroid, um, so HPTA would be shut down anyway. Still, it would inhibit some of the earlier steps in the sex hormone cascade. And it's the same for metribolone, also known as methyltrienolone, basically the 17-alpha-alkylated methylated version of trenbolone, so oral trin metribolone, and oxymetalone anadrol, potent 3-beta-hydroxysteroidehydrogenase enzyme inhibitors. So if you take metribolone, anadrol, or even coffee, potentially, but I'm more likely soybeans, right? So don't be a soy boy. If you take these, you actually inhibit some of the steps in the sex hormone cascade, resulting in all kinds of issues like loss of libido, loss of focus, dry skin, loss of motivation, weak tendons, joints, and ligaments, osteoporosis, cardiovascular issues. I mean, the list goes on because you're inhibiting multiple steps. So if you don't want that to happen, at least be an HCG to um, you know, keep the hormone cascade going to a certain extent. So you're overcompensating for the metribolone or exometalone or the you know, tetrahydrogesterinone that you might be taking, even though it's not really available. Um, you have to be on cookie cutter HRT if you're going with oxymetalone to increase the pumps. Next one on the list are the 17-alpha-hydroxylase enzymes, which are also found in the adrenal cortex, the ovaries, and the testes. This is a key enzyme in the stereogenic pathway that produces progestins, mineral corticoids, glucocorticoids, androgens, and estrogens, at least the earliest steps. You can see on the screen that it converts pregnenolone with several intermediates into dihydroepiandrosterone, as well as 17-alpha-hydroxyprogesterone, which converts into androstenedione, which downstream converts into testosterone, right? So you might be inhibiting testosterone synthesis downstream. The inhibitors are canrenanone, again, the spironolactone-aldactone metabolite, Gestrinone, right? The foundation of uh, the clear tide hydrogestrinone. Ketoconazole, Nizerol shampoo, spironolactone, aldactone again, and stanozolol, 
Winstrol, also a potent inhibitor of the 17-hydroxylase enzymes. So if you take Winstrol, right, again, you have to make sure that some of the neurosteroid supplementation and testosterone supplementation is in place because HPTA downregulation and direct inhibition of uh, sex hormone synthesis is going to take place. So an oxymetolone-only cycle or a Winstrol-Sinazole-only cycle, bad idea. Don't do it, please. Kids, don't do it, right? Don't do these oral-only cycles. It's stupid from a multitude of different angles. Next, 70-beta-hydroxysteroidehydrogenase enzymes, which helps with steroidogenesis and steroid metabolism. Dihydrate epiandrosterone into 5-androstenediol and vice versa. Androstenediol into testosterone and vice versa. And esterone into estradiol and vice versa. Guess what the inhibitor is? Ethanol. Alcohol. So if you drink a lot of alcohol, you can expect, you can bet all of your testicles and your adrenal cortex on this fact that your sex hormone and neurosteroid balance will be off. Don't do it frequently. Don't do it daily. Don't be an asshole, right? Nobody is productive drinking alcohol every single day. If you want to celebrate every two months or every three months, like I mentioned in the previous video about how I manage my vices, set a goal, then you can drink some alcohol. Don't do it every day. Don't do it too frequently because your sex hormone and neurostyle balance will be off tremendously. And symphostatin, Zocor, another statin which we mentioned earlier, also terrible for these enzymes. All right, now we get into the juicy stuff. The five alpha reductase enzymes, there's three different isoforms. These help with the metabolism of testosterone into dihydrotestosterone and also bile acid synthesis. I'm sure you guys are all familiar with the use of finasteride and dutasteride. Even though dihydrotestosterone levels will go down, allopregnenolone levels will also go down, resulting in all kinds of cognitive issues. And because testosterone levels are now significantly higher than before the use of finasteride or dutasteride, you're more likely to convert this testosterone into estradiol. So gyno is an issue. Uh, acne might be an issue. Water retention might be an issue. And, uh, you know, mood regulation might be harder to manage if your estradiol levels are really, really that high because of the overexpression of aromatized enzymes, right? All kinds of issues can uh, occur with 5-alpha-reductase enzyme inhibition. Personally, I don't think it's a good idea because, you know, the libido issues, you need some DHT for erectile quality and erectile strength and uh, overall erectile length and girth. Right? Like we mentioned in the DHT cream video, I don't think it's a good idea if you're solely using these 5-5-reductase enzymes to uh, prevent hair loss. There's much better ways to prevent hair loss. And otherwise, well, going bald isn't the end of the world, but not having a fully functional um, member in between your legs, I think that's worse than uh, losing a little bit of hair here and there. But again, that's up to your preference. Um, some people have a different perspective. So most notably, the 5-alpha-reductase enzymes helps in the production of allopregnanolone and isopregnanolone, as well as the conversion of androstenedione into 5-alpha, androstenedione, testosterone into 5-alpha-dihydrotestosterone, DHT, nandrolone into 5-alpha-dihydronandrolone, DHN, and boldenone into 5-alpha-dihydroboldenone, also known as DHB, which is actually found on the black market as dihydroboldenone, acetate or cypionate uh, might be slightly painful injections, but some people swear by it, albeit that boldenone and dihydroboldenone might have some kidney toxic effects, but they're also very active as aromatized enzyme inhibitors, which we'll discuss a little bit later, and androstenedione into androstenone. So inhibition of all of that can occur from dutasteride, like we mentioned before, epitestosterone can also inhibit 
the 5-alpha reductase enzyme. So if you start injecting that for a couple of days leading into a drug test to keep your testosterone to epitestosterone ratio within a 4 to 1 ratio and hopefully beating the drug test. But hold your horses, don't get too excited. That's assuming there's no carbon isotope ratio mass spectrometry testing taking place, which can determine if your testosterone or epitestosterone is coming from endogenous production from your testicles, basically, or exogenous sources through um, the subcutaneous or intramuscular administrations, right? Don't get too excited. Still, epitestosterone, if you go that route and attempt to beat the drug test, keep in mind that it can reduce 5-alpha reductase enzyme uh, conversion of testosterone in the diet of testosterone and some of the other pathways. So you might feel slightly off if you decide to go that extreme. Fatty acids can also inhibit 5-alpha reductase enzymes to a certain extent. You don't have to start minimizing your fatty acid intake because otherwise um, you might inhibit the sex hormone cascade entirely. You need healthy fatty acids for normal hormone production. Still, it's something of note that linoleic acids, linoleic acids, monolinolein and oleic acids can inhibit the alpha reductase enzymes. Apparently, finasteride, I mean, who would have thought that that can inhibit the 5-alpha reductase enzymes, sulfomedo extract, and even vitamin B6 and zinc can inhibit these enzymes to a certain extent. So take this to heart. If you suffer from libido issues or gyno or all kinds of issues related to low DHT levels and high estradiol levels, right? L uh, low motivation, inability to focus, dry skin, etc., 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 this can all be caused by some of the compounds that you're taking that can inhibit the 5-alpha reductase enzymes. And since they contribute to bowel acid synthesis, another reason to look into it, into what you're taking, because you might get constipation, reduced excretion of metabolic waste products, um, you know, impaired nutrient absorption, etc., etc. Keep this in mind. The last one I want to discuss is the aromatized enzymes. Now, of course, aromatize is the enzyme responsible for the aromatization of androgens into estrogens, can be found in many different tissues, including the gonads, the brain, adipose tissue, the placenta, blood vessels, where it helps with uh, endothelial function, the skin and bone, and also uh, tissues of the endometriosis, the uterine fibroids, breast cancer, and endometrial cancer. And of course, aromatized inhibitors were initially prescribed for postmenopausal women suffering from various estrogen-positive cancers. Postmenopausal women have a downregulated hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis, where they no longer produce a decent amount of estrogens by themselves. And the estrogens, the estradiol that they do produce, is actually coming from testosterone, which is coming from the neurosteroid cascade. So they use aromatized inhibitors to inhibit that step in the conversion of testosterone into estradiol, allowing them to go into remission when they suffer from estrogen-positive cancers. Men use it, of course, um, for superphysiological levels of exogenous testosterone, inhibiting the conversion of testosterone into estradiol to a certain extent. Um, allowing their estradiol levels to get to the top of the range, but not too super physiological, resulting in gynecomastia, libido issues, etc. Still, if you overdo it, you also get little libido. You also get um, issues with your joints and cardiovascular conditions later on in life. And even the chronic and overuse of aromatized enzyme inhibitors can result in aneurysms. This is well documented in the postmenopausal women suffering from breast cancer that take aromatized inhibitors to crush their estradiol levels, they're more likely to develop an aneurysm. Please take this to heart, guys. The aromatized enzymes convert androstenedione into esterone, nandrolone into estradiol. Yes, nandrolone is a metabolic intermediate 
in the synthesis of testosterone in the estradiol. And if you take exogenous nandrolone, it seems to catalyze the conversion. Methendienone, the anabol, into methyl estradiol. Methyl testosterone into methyl estradiol. And testosterone into, you guessed it, estradiol, right? This aromatized enzyme can be inhibited with ATD, ADD, or some of the other boldenone metabolites, uh, cytadrine, anastrozole, aromatics, like I talked about earlier, ascorbic acid, vitamin C, DHD, dihydrotestosterone, and some of the dihydrotestosterone-based androgens, that it's, uh, what is it, Winstrol, Anivar, Primabolin, Mastrone, albeit that the scientific evidence is quite limited. So ask any bodybuilder if their Mastrone or Primabolin keeps their estradiol levels within range, and they'll probably say yes. Examestane, aromacin, as well as, you guessed it, fatty acids. I mean, who would have known that you can inhibit the aromatized enzymes and the 5-alpha reductase enzymes partially with healthy eating? All you need to do is focus on your fat intake, the linoleic and linolenic acid and some of the other variants of healthy fats. If you focus on that, the overexpression, the overconversion of testosterone into dihydrotestosterone or testosterone into estradiol can be kept in check. Not to the point that you get morbidly obese, of course, because aromatized enzymes are highly expressed in adipose tissue. So keep that in mind. Also is inhibited by flavonoids, including epigenin, tricin, EGCG, which is found in green tea, uh, hesperidin, uh, naringenin, right, found in grapefruit and grapefruit juice and some of the grillamine supplements can actually inhibit the conversion of testosterone into some of its metabolites. Very potent cytochrome P453A4 enzyme inhibitors, but I can make a separate video talking about that. It will be an hour in duration, I'm sure. And quercetin. Ketoconazole, again, so besides blocking the androgen receptor, it can also inhibit the conversion of testosterone into estradiol and thus risk gynecomastia formation even worse if you're combining ketoconazole with finasteride. Now, again, these can also inhibit the metabolism of finasteride. So now if you stop the finasteride with libido issues and you keep using the ketoconazole, then the metabolism of finasteride is longer lasting and thus the conversion of testosterone into dihydrotestosterone will take longer to recover. I talked about this extensively in the post-finasteride syndrome video. I'll link it at the end of this one. Letrozole, Femera, of course, it's going to inhibit the aromatized enzymes. I mean, that's ultimately what it's designed for. Melatonin, apparently, can also reduce estradiol conversion. Nicotine, right? We talked about this many, many times in the previous videos nor endoxifin, which is a tamoxifen metabolite, quinolinoids, including berberine, stilbenoids, including resveratrol, terpenoids, including retinol, vitamin A, delta-9 tetrahydrocannabidol, found in various cannabis products, tretinoin, found in various anti-acne creams, testolactone, a very potent aromatized enzyme inhibitor, valproic acid, and uh, zinc as well. So all of these can inhibit the aromatized enzymes to a certain extent, albeit that they might be more selective or more prominent in various tissues. Some of these might inhibit the aromatized enzymes in the brain more than in adipose tissue or endothelial tissue. So keep that in mind, right? If you're using any of these and you have issues with serum estradiol levels or low estrogen symptoms, right? Low libido, low motivation, dry skin, weak tendons, joints, and ligaments, uh, symptoms of osteoporosis, or bone pain, or severely skewed serum lipid levels, right? All related to low estradiol levels. 
And even if your estradiol levels in serum might not be uh, super low, maybe in the middle of the reference range, that doesn't mean that in the tissue, estradiol levels are not chronically low. So if you're taking one of these or a multitude of these, which is very likely that you're combining several different compounds which are known to inhibit aromatized enzyme activity in various tissues, and you have low estrogen symptoms, take some of these out and start eating a little bit better and just rely on fatty acids and maybe methane, which can uh, promote conversion of estradiol into estrone or estriol. All right, and I think that pretty much covers all of the steroidogenic enzymes and their potential inhibitors, which I wanted to cover in this video. Still, there's a couple other cytochrome B450 enzymes, which helps with drug metabolism and drug excretion. In the final steps of the sex hormone and neurosteroid cascades, those are the cytochrome B450, 2C19, and 3A4 enzymes, CYP2C19 and CYP3A4s, which I'm sure many of you guys are familiar with. And then there's glucuronidation, where the glucuronidase enzymes attach glucuronidides to the hormones, marking them for excretion, so they can pass through the kidneys and detoxify from the body. But we'll save that for a follow-up video. Finally, I want to go over three of the compounds which we mentioned inhibiting several enzymes at the end of this video, starting with ketoconazole, Nizerol, and whether those are the oral tablets which you use for fungal infections or the topical ketoconazole which you can find in shampoos, whether that's the 1%, 2%, 5% formula, with chronic Nizerol ketoconazole exposure, you're going to expect to inhibit to a certain extent or fully inhibit the cholesterol 7-alpha-hydroxylase enzymes limiting the amount of bile acids that you're producing, or the cholesterol side chain cleavage enzymes limiting the amount of pregnenolone that you're producing, or the 17-alpha-hydroxylase enzymes limiting the amount of DHEA and androstenedione that you're producing, ultimately um, getting converted into testosterone downstream. So that's bile acids, limited pregnenolone, limited DHEA, limited androstenedione, and limited testosterone levels. So please, guys, if you're using, going to use ketoconazole shampoo, limit it to maybe 1% to 2%, not twice per day. Don't hammer your scalp with the ketoconazole shampoo because you're literally inhibiting several steps of the sex hormone and neurosteroid cascades, and you might feel off. Plus, you might get constipated or have limited uh, absorption of several micronutrients, which are also required for normal hormone synthesis. Moving over to spironolactone, aldactone, and its metabolite, canruranone. So, this inhibits the cholesterol cytokine cleavage uh, enzyme. Again, limited pregnenolone production and 17-alpha-hydroxylase, limited DHA, androstenedione, and potentially testosterone production downstream. An issue if you're going to use spironolactone for acne management, for example, or um, you want to use this temporarily to kind of get the water off by uh, modulating the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. So, it's a very potent antiandrogen, so I don't think it's suitable for drug-free athletes to use spironolactone in any way, shape, or form, uh, whether that's for a contest, of course, you're no longer drug-free in that context, um, or to um, you know use it as an anti-acne medication. Especially women, take heat, don't use this. There's much better ways out there to keep your acne under control. And then the last one I want to discuss that inhibits several different enzymes, two of them. Anastrozole, Arimidex, inhibits the sterile 27-hydroxylase enzymes. Again, limited bile acid production downstream, and the aromatized enzymes. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing, albeit that, uh, of course, you get a dose-dependent inhibition of aromatase. So if you overdo the arimidex, which I'm sure some of you guys are familiar with, bottomed-out estradiol levels, and that's you know, not very good for your libido and for your cardiovascular health, for your neurological health, et cetera, et cetera. 
So if you're using any of these or in combination, you're now inhibiting multiple steps. And this is the sole reason why you're feeling off. Or maybe you do a you know conservative dose of 1% to 2% ketoconazole shampoo and an acerzole to kind of mitigate the effects of the finasteride that you're taking because now there's more testosterone available and potentially converting into estradiol. And thus you use the anastrozole, the arimidex, to kind of keep that in bay because you're still drug-free. So you have uh, finasterides, anastrozole, and ketoconazole shampoo. I mean, the hormonal imbalance that you're creating right there, very problematic. And the sole reason why your libido is now completely shot, right? You have all of your hair, but your penis is non-functional. So how do we get ourselves out of this mess? Like I alluded to in the post-finasteride syndrome video, most of these enzymes are dependent on a variant of nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide, whether that's the plus or the phosphorylated version or the reduced version or the reduced phosphorylated version, right? NAD+, NADP+, NADPH, NADH, all of these enzymes are dependent on some sort of variant of NAD. Thus, you need to make sure that you're sticking on top of your nicotinamide riboside, nicotinamide mononucleotide supplementation, or simply uh, go with a B100 complex if you feel that that's sufficient for adequate NAD plus levels, NADP, NADPH, NADH, if I uh, keep forgetting that at the end. Um, so you have to do your due diligence to make sure that these electron donors um, are always present for these enzymatic reactions to occur. I believe that a lot of issues nowadays are not related solely to the ancillaries that people are taking, but to a NAD plus deficiency. After I started supplementing with nicotinamide mononucleotide and NAD plus intravenously once per week, my overall quality of life, my sense of well-being, my libido, my recovery from workouts, I mean, everything is working as it's supposed to because I can do donate the electrons for all of the enzymatic reactions which are occurring in the body. And I'm not taking the ancillaries which would otherwise inhibit them. So keep this in mind, give it some thought, look into NMN or NR supplementation. Some people lean more towards NR, some people lean more towards NMN, but you're going to have to figure that out by yourself through a little bit of self-experimentation. Personally, I'm siding with NMN over NR because I got a much better result with NMN at a lower dose compared to NR at a higher dose. Still worth looking into, food for thoughts. Let's leave it here. The next video is going to dive into some of the cytochrome P450 enzymes and perhaps if we have time, glucuronidation. Thank you guys so much for watching. You can find everything that I'm associated with down below in the YouTube description section. And if it's not there, you can always find it on my website, vigorsteve.com. I've got a ton of free articles for your reading pleasure. Bookmark that site. You won't be disappointed. Follow me on Instagram and TikTok at vigorsteve, vigorscrew. You guys know what to do. A front double wise for you guys. No inhibition of enzymatic reactions regarding my sex hormone and neurosteroid cascade, even though my DHA and DHA sulfate levels are quite low, but maybe not for long. Let's see what happens going forward. Thank you guys so much for watching, and I'll see you in the next video.